Welcome back to Season 3 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stefano Bini. In this series of podcasts, we are highlighting the best presentations from the January 2020 San Francisco Digital Orthopedics Conference, otherwise known as DOCSF, presented in partnership with UCSF's Department of Orthopedic Surgery, and the November 2019 DOCSF Berlin Conference, presented in partnership with Frontiers Health. On this episode seven of season three, we bring you our second case study. This one is focused on the inpatient space. Asperia.com. Asperia is a chatbot interface deeply embedded in electronic health records like Epic and used to engage with patients based on triggers from the electronic record itself. Chatbots are a big deal in the healthcare space and we expect them to have a big impact on our ability to manage incoming calls to busy clinics and hospitals. Please join Dan Kendall from the Digital Health Today podcast as our moderator and Chim Nai Singh, CEO of Asperia, on the DocSF stage. So we want to continue on with our case studies. And the next thing that we want to look at, how many of you have had the experience of getting ready for an operative procedure, your pre-op experience? So oftentimes what happens in that environment is that there's a planning process that leads up to it. And then a couple of weeks before, you start getting the information like, how are we going to prepare for this? And sometimes like within that week before, you get to have this appointment where you're going to go through all of the things that you need to do to be prepared preoperatively. And you're most likely it's going to be the nurse who's going to sit down with you and go through all the sets of instructions that are very, very, very specific about what to wear, when to go to bed, whether or not you should eat or sleep, what medications you should take. They give you a lot of information. And then what happens, you come in the morning of the procedure and the first question that you ask is, have you eaten or or had anything to drink today? And patient will say to you, oh yeah, I went ahead and took my um, anticoagulant. Well, that doesn't really work for surgery. So anyway, we've got a company that has been working on all of this. So I want you to please welcome Chin Mai Singh, who is with the, he's the co-founder and president of Asperia, and they are reimagining how do we prevent same-day cancellations and improve the post-operative experience. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Chinmay Singh, and as Shauna said, I'm the co-founder uh, and president of Asperia. My background is a uh, long, long, long time back. I used to be a radiology scientist, and then gradually I realized that I was not that good a scientist and moved into marketing. Then I realized that there is some opportunity which is not that high tech, and it's very relevant to the picture that you see here on the screen, Because what you see here is when we sent the first human to moon. A few years after that, somebody filed a patent to put wheels on suitcase. So you would imagine that hundreds of thousands of people going through on vacations, on airport, they would lap onto it. But that did not happen. It took another 10 years for the wheels on suitcase to become mainstream. So what I'm going to show you is not something very high tech. What I am going to show you is something that you have taken, that you assume that it's just normal part of doing business. You just go through that because that's the way it has been done for a long period of time. 
So we automate workflow that, that require communication with patients and leads to a transaction in electronic health record. And as the graphics show here, the box in the middle, that's where we are. So anything a patient does with uh, your front office or back office over the phone that leads to a transaction in electronic health record. And if it is being done at a high enough frequency, then you can assume it can be automated. And that's what we do at Asperia. So when I say that, there are large gamut of activities that could be done that way. Uh, for instance, to schedule an appointment, I do not need to talk to somebody over the phone. Is it possible to do that with an automated solution such as bot? Similarly, if I need a medication refill, I don't need to again call and talk to somebody over the phone. But I'm not going to go into those use cases. I am going to stick to two use cases here. Number one being last minute surgery cancellation and number two being post-procedure follow-up. And actually, there, there's a little bit of history to that and history to me starting the company. As I told you, I was a radiology scientist. My wife works in healthcare too. In 2012, I had a surgery and I was given instruction for that. For whatever reason, between me and my wife, I could not follow that and I ended up with some infection. And then I ended up having two more revision surgeries. So that's somebody, you can see, relatively young and with a lot of healthcare background. So when you think about people who do not have that pedigree, what they go through. So what is the solution? The solution is just-in-time actionable communication. As Shauna said, the, the example that she said, we reach out to patient, we are connected with electronic health record, we know this patient is scheduled for surgery, we know this patient is taking Plavix, so we reach out to this patient automatically that, hey, you need to stop taking Plavix. And then next day, we are again reaching out to them and asking the patient that, hey, did you stop doing that or not? Now, there would be three kind of things you will get. You will get patient who said yes and everything is good and we record it. There would be patient who would not respond to it. And we often see up to 30% of patients do not respond to text messages. That doesn't mean that they haven't done. They would just not respond. And then there would be cases when the patient actually did not follow the instruction. And in that case, we record that. And depending on what EHR you use, so if you are using, for instance, Epic, it goes into Epic. And from there, it triggers internal workflow that would notify the doctor or the care team that this patient has not followed protocol. And then it is up to you how to go about that. And similarly, the post-procedure follow-up. And I have kind of abbreviated it a little bit just to kind of a, for the sake of brevity. But if you think about it, uh, clinics call patient after procedure asking these questions. And that often leads to kind of phone tag. When I had my surgery, I was in pain and I was sitting or sleeping. I am not going to pick up the phone no matter how hard it was ringing. But in this case, if you are doing it using a bot or a text bot, then when I see that, when I wake up, when I see that, I can respond to that. And in this case, with, when this patient says, yeah, I'm having something, then the system asks them that, okay, what is it? I haven't shown it here, but you can imagine that. And patient would say, oh, I have fever or whatever it is. If the patient is saying, I have fever, we can follow up how much is the fever. And at that point of time, we will put 
the much maligned epic in basket message for the doctor so uh, my sympathies to each and every one of you who use epic but that's the way the system works so as we implemented it at this so this was a pain clinic where we implemented it and here is what they were using as you see on this screen this is a clinic in houston and when you read this these instruction you can see that some of the things could be probably just you can make it much better for instance it kind of goes from 5 days prior and then later on the second page 14 days and 7 days and then 5 days so you don't know how the flow is but this is what this clinic was using or this surgery center was using to educate its patient and i'll go through a little bit of kind of a lesson learned as we took this information now you cannot send all of this information to a, a patient it would not be productive so I, when i come to the lesson learning part i'll share a little bit more on that but the same thing you see here on the on the post procedure unfortunately this is the form they gave me because they use it on paper so it's not very clear but a lot of you here deal with these things day in and day out so you can see like first question is do you have a redness or swelling at operative site yes or no please explain those kind of things pretty simple thing and we took that and as i showed you in the earlier slide we created it into actionable messages so here are some of the result and what i want to show you here is at this clinic i did not know that i got to know about it much later but all electronic health record companies they have uh, their own user communities so this particular woman michelle she went ahead and she wrote about us saying that there is an additional cost but we feel it is fair for the service they provide this was like i never asked her i got to know about it because other people started to call me and ask about the services that's how we got to know about it why did she do that she did it because they started to get over 70% patient response in the past they were calling these patients and it was nowhere close to this the second thing is that number of outbound call reduced to almost zero the third thing is that as a result of this number of last minute cancellations were reduced to zero so let me just kind of uh, i am going to run out of time let me just talk about lesson learned and the second point here is kind of a it just was kind of a comical for me so in the pages that i showed you there is a clear instruction that don't you are going to get anesthesia don't come in uber and patient would show up at the surgery center in uber and just because of that the clinic would have to cancel the procedure that is a very simple thing but that's what was happening the other problem that we found out was that like as i said that based on medication we alert you that don't take this medication we found out that medication record in ehr are not complete so so that kind of a i did not believe that but i saw that and now i know that and the last point is those of you who are clinician by training so when you have that paper in front of you that you are trying to digitize there is an kind of a inordinate amount of back and forth goes on among the clinician they just can't agree on anything so as we started we thought we would be live pretty soon but it took us a long time and we didn't have any role to play in that it took us a long time to get a consensus among clinician what was important and how it should be told to the patient so that they could follow that instruction and come prepared so very excited to be here this is an uh, incredible honor to present to you and any question if you have i would be happy to take it
Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Kendall. I'm the host of Digital Health Today and the founder of the Health Podcast Network. It's a little hard to see with these lights up here, but let me just ask a question. How many people in the room listen to podcasts? Just raise your hand. Wow. Excellent. A lot of people. Uh, what are some of the ones that you listen to? Just shout out some names. On Being Digital Health Today. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'll pay you later, Mike. Thank you. On Being is a great one. Thanks, Sean. Anyone else? See You Now is another great one coming out this month, I understand. Any, any other names? How I Built This, another fantastic podcast. All the ones that you've mentioned are ones that I've heard of, but what we're just doing now is the way that a lot of people discover podcasts, word of mouth. After starting the Digital Health Today podcast about four years ago, I realized that there needed to be a better way for people who are interested in healthcare to find podcasts that are relevant for them. There are over 35 million episodes available on iTunes, over 700,000 different titles of podcasts. So what I did is I created the Health Podcast Network to begin to collate and curate some of the great podcasts that are relevant for those of us who are working in this field, whether you're an investor in healthcare or a clinician, or you're someone like me with a mechanical engineering degree. But like you, I realized I was not a very good engineer, so I got into marketing. So this is a place where you can go. I'm very pleased to be able to work with Stefano to have his podcast, the DocSF podcast on the network, and also invite you to check out any of the others. We have over 20 different podcasts there on the network and encourage you to check that out. Okay, we've got a great panel here. We've got some real great technologists that really understand about implementation. So if you could just come up to the stage, we've got, we've got to read the names out here, John Chickering, Rob Crawl, and Ben Levy. If you could put your hands together and welcome them to the stage, please. <laughs> grab a mic there. Just grab a mic. Oh, yeah, sure. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Grab a seat. Let's get in some nuts and bolts here, guys. All right, fantastic. Well, I'm not going to give any more introduction. I think it was a great presentation. Who wants to fire off the first question? I'll go first. So since you're, you're communicating directly with patients through mobile devices, what sort of data privacy concerns do you come up against? And how do you solution for those data privacy concerns from the hospital's IT perspective? How do you put their minds at ease? Sure. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good question. Actually, when we started the company, and it's kind of a religious belief, a lot of people say that, HIP, uh, that text message is not HIPAA compliant or you are violating HIPAA. And that's just not true. There is no HIPAA certification. So you, I cannot go and say that, hey, my thing is certified and those kind of things. So what happens is that if you look at your, your organization's HIPAA waiver policy, you will see that there is a section which says that we will contact you via email, text, or other things. So that's number one. If you do not have it, you should put it in there. And then you should get it signed from the patient. Now, just because patient signed, still it would not work. Majority of the EHRs, if you look at like Epic, Athena Health, NextGen, almost all of them have a field equivalent to what is called consent to text. So what we do is we require the hospital system to get that language in their HIPAA annual notice. And when the patient signs it, if the patient is giving that approval, then we ask them to turn on that consent to text. If that consent of text is not there, we are not going to reach out to that patient. So jumping in, because it helps, I think, and it will help the audience to get a sense of the company as a whole. Like, what's your stage? How many employees do you have? How many deployments live do you have? That way we can put that in context to our questions. Sure. So, yeah, we, we started in, in 2016. We are backed by 500 startups, which is a Bay Area-based uh, accelerator. And currently we have 15 employees. 
half of them are in like sales and marketing and other half is in engineering and customer support in terms of customers we like any other startup and i'm sure there are some of you in audience you who might be looking to start your company we did exactly the same thing we started we first went to smaller customers like one or two doctor practices then we learned from that we modified our product don't go to the to UCSF or Stanford if you are in bay area you will not get anything sorry if there is anybody from those two organizations here not yet uh, not yet <laughs> <laughs> not to duke either i i am a duke alum don't go over there either <laughs> so uh, but that's how we, we learn and actually there is quite a bit of learning but our biggest customer we are going live actually on 20th is starting on on 13th and they have uh, 600000 appointments in a year a lot of them are procedures so that would happen on 20th so we are integrated with majority of the ehrs we were the first chatbot to debut on epic app orchard actually there was not a category of chatbot they created it for us and then athena health next gen and other major ehr we are integrated with so with regards to that you know i think the question that a lot of people working with startups wonder is is our sales cycle taking too long what should we be expecting from that what have you found to sort of be your sales cycle at this point how long does it take and what have you found to be able to help you shorten that sales cycle sure so second part actually i can answer right now i do not know the answer to the second part <laughs> but i'll tell you this thing as a startup i feel lucky that some people guided me we went after a smaller customer what it does is that there is a quick decision you are not giving it for free you are getting 100 dollars 50 dollars actually first i try to give it for free and nobody would buy it and then i said okay i am going to charge you 50 dollars and then the argument back was can you do it for 30 and then i said no i am going to charge it 300 dollars and nobody said anything reduce your price or anything that's actually what happened with our, in our case now <laughs> Price discovery is the hardest yeah. thing for a startup. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that's number one. And uh, number two is after we learn from that, then we start to target a uh, bigger customer. And in bigger customer, the sales cycle is if anybody is using RFI, you can assume it's at least eighteen months. They would have an end of RFI date that will never be met. I have never seen. It. I have been in healthcare now twenty years. I have never seen that. date being met i think the the better solution could be to go and that's what we are trying to do and we are having some reasonable success with that instead of going to the cio and saying hey how great we are and we are chubby with apic or whatever ehr you have we go to now a specific departments so the director of surgery or uh, somebody who is responsible for your er and we try to target them and try to get over there and then grow from that point i have seen other companies who have who are kind of a in a way co-passenger with me in this journey i have seen them doing anything so it's not that i started with that thing i saw them having success with that and that's what we are trying to do so can you give us some idea of what the charging model is now you started at free you went to 50 you went to 300 and and what size of the deals are they four figure five figure six figure deals are they over three year terms Give us some idea on that. Yeah, so so they are now <laughs> they are It's now early. over no no they they are over six figure. So so let me just kind of answer that question right away. We have several over six figure deals at this point of time. Typically, we do the product. If you think about it, that's kind of a little bit weird because our product, in a way, you can say it's a SaaS product. However, the way we do it is an enter- enterprise deal, especially 
if you are a big enough customer, you are not going to install us and then rip and replace us. So, so probably from the CTO perspective and CIO perspective, it works too. So we typically have three-year term and then a renewal after that. That's the way we are doing. If you are a single doctor practice and if you perform surgery, which uh, a lot of you here might be, the price is $300 per provider per month. So related to that, I think for people to understand, how much have you validated the pain points? I mean, you, you, you pick two out of five or six use cases, but rescheduling surgery last minute, have you quantified the pain? I mean, what does it cost a practice to have a, a canceled appointment? Or, and are they really realizing that cost and are willing to invest in your solution for that? Tell us about how you position your solution to them. Sure. So, and that is actually one of the weakness. That's a weakness of like Silicon Valley. We make claims without substantiating it. Take uh, it until you make it. Uh, but we at least we have, we, we, on that po point, I can say that we did not fake it. We went to the customer, we said that this is what we believe it would do. So I, I went deeply with them on the workflow to identify and that's how we develop and they see the value. But one of the next thing that we want to do is ex actually doing those kind of studies and coming up with uh, numbers. So some numbers we do know because they get reported on us. For instance, when I say over 70% patient respond, we can see that thing and we can report on that. But how many surgeries were canceled? So for instance, this clinic that we talked to you about uh, the use cases, there I know because they had a lot of cancellations earlier and they just disappeared at that point of time. But is that good enough that I can publish it? No. We need to do that because that might be just an effect that we just went live. And yeah, there is some good result are being seen. That responsibility with us and, and we are looking forward to fulfilling that in near future. So if you, again, I gave some bad name to UCSF and Stanford and Duke. If you are from one of those organizations and if you are looking for something, well, there's only one brown guy on the stage. <laughs> so quick question for you in regards to a lot of my backgrounds based in implementation and, and making both companies big and small, putting the products in and having it work for the users. A lot of the perspective of the client then comes from how well that implementation went and then how well you executed. I noticed in looking through sort of the background on your platform, it looks like you try to be very plug and play, lightweight from the implementation perspective that you don't have to do, put a lot of work on the customer or yourselves to, to make it work for each one of them. But how does that work with all of the visit types that are possible that you have to set up programming logic for to, to do certain things. How do you sort of, you know, square that with both low implementation, lightweight, yet also, you know, dynamic platform? Sure. As I shared with you, we are going live with our, uh, one of our biggest customer in New York that implementation start next week and they would be fully live on 20th, uh, 600,000 appointments in a year. One of the key thing is if any company is coming to you and they are saying that they are going to build an HL7 interface or magically some data would appear and you will upload and download. That is the worst way of doing it. The way to do that is now APIs are available and those APIs are available directly from electronic health record company. So for instance, here again, UCSF, Duke and Stanford, all three of them use Epic. The company that you are looking at, it should be part of Epic's App Orchard or Open Epic. If they are not, you should not bother. In our case, for instance, very small thing, where the location is, what the address of the, of the office, what time the office open or closes, all of those things, we directly get it through APIs from Epic so that tomorrow if something changes, you go and change it in your EHR, 
you don't need to come and change it in our system. So I guess it's a follow-up though, like, but for the specific visit types that need to have logic built into your system, is that on the customer to customize for their custom visit types? They may have thousands of different visit types. Do they have to do that customization or do you handle that for them or is it not necessary? So what they do is actually those visit types are in there in the EHR and they tell us that for these visit type, this is the kind of things we want to do. So that setup we do, but that visit type we are directly getting from EHR. So tomorrow, if you want to change it, go ahead and change it. We'll directly pull it from there. You will not need to come in. But tomorrow, if you want to start a new visit type and you add that thing and you want to add, there is something that you will need to do in our system. One other actually problem with these EHRs is, and again, I'm an immigrant to this country. I came from outside and it's a melting pot of success. Actually, truly, I, I'm, I'm grateful of what this country has given me. But when it comes to medical software, we are not that good. It only works in English. There is a number of people like in Bay Area who do not understand that English and much of the thing that is happening in there is only in English and that support none of the EHR has at present. So, so in those kind of things, we need to do quite a bit of customization. I just hope that someday EHR companies would make some changes in there. So a follow-up on the EMR company and how you work with them. I think for the startups in the room and out there, I think everyone would like to work with EMRs. I think it's, from the vendor perspective, it's often difficult to do that. Or are there any sort of secrets that you would, or experiences that you've had working with integration with Epic that you'd want to share with them? So I'll tell you this thing. Um, Again, the Silicon Valley mindset that anybody who lost out on Facebook and Twitter is salivating that somehow, and we, we saw Accenture Google deal and, or Mayo Google deal. Anybody is salivating over that, how can we get access to this data? When I approached Epic for the first time and what they told me they like about us, they invited us to be part of their app orchard in the very first batch. We said, we don't want to keep any patient data in our system. Actually today, as long as there's an active communication going on with that patient, that's the only information is in our system. When the patient said that I have fever and it's 102 degrees and it started two days back. And at that point of time, we created a message in the CRM. At that point of time, that patient ceased to exist in our system. That is actually very important. Your electronic health record needs to be central source of truth. And we took that approach. We took that approach with Cerner. I took that same approach with Athena and any other EHR. We don't keep any data. We never, we have promised our customer we are never going to monetize that data because that data actually is not in our system. Uh, and that kind of puts both the EHR company and the customer at ease. At the same time, think about it because I'm not maintaining a complex database. It's very easy for me to, instead of trying to focus my energy on database, to focus more on the workflows and functionalities. As a venture capitalist, I would have a problem with that way of doing it, right? I Especially as, a, as an AI-focused VC, I would say, look, if you don't have the data and you can learn from it and you can't train your engines on it, then how are you going to get any better? I mean, you can throw people at the problem and you need people, by the way, because everybody that believes bots, you know, bots are failing across so fast and so horribly. People have deployed millions and billions of dollars into it and it's failing and you're damaging your brand and you're damaging your ex experience. You know, but having human in the loop the way you're doing, I think it's pretty smart. You need to have both, right? But how do you train? I mean, I think it's back to the implementation, right? The question of 
you need a fair amount of domain knowledge in each and every use cases. Every surgery, you will going to need to develop new libraries of knowledge, um, workflows, and best practices, right? Actually, so I'm, I'm very honestly, I'm giving the company secret here. You don't. So Mayo has published its library, and actually, it's if you want it, it's freely available. If you go and Google anything, whatever Google is publishing is coming directly from Mayo, and and it it the attribution says that thing. So a lot of that information we don't need to develop. It is there. The problem actually still we run into a problem. The problem we run into it, even though Mayo has published something and your hospital has adopted that thing, but the two doctors in that particular organization who need to agree on the same document, they don't. And that's where the delay happens. But that knowledge base, we don't create. We, we just get it from other resources. To follow up on that, though, you know, there's probably a lot of data that you're capturing. I know you, in your example, you said you were able to improve the correspondence by 70% with a patient who was responding to something like that. That type of data is obviously really important, and, and a lot of health organizations would want to have that. Are you able to still capture any of that through metadata without the patient data to be able to give them trends in saying, you know, this type of outreach works better for this type of patient and things like that? Because I feel like it would be really, really beneficial to the, to the flow of what you're trying to achieve. That's a good point, actually. We do report that kind of thing. We are reporting it back to the EHR and it get timestamped and everything and you should run into that report. The thing that I haven't yet kind of a, the reason I am hesitant to put that data in our system, even on the metadata, we don't keep it. I feel that's a slippery slope. It starts with don't be evil and it ends up somewhere else. And I just don't know that I have necessary control within our organization being a small organization that somebody from investor community would not come and after they have invested some money and taken equity and kind of arm twist me into keeping that data and use, using it in some other way. It would um, be the wrong investor, by the way, if they were thinking this way. <laughs> Let me jump in. I've got a few questions from the audience. I just want to remember everybody to get onto slido.com and, and put some things up here. There was a question about training patients. So I'm curious about training the customers that you have, but also what's been the response from patients? And there's one other piece of the question here. Uh, can you personalize it? Because you were talking about not keeping the data. So how personalizes the message that they're actually receiving? Sure. And I response, uh, respond to both. So... Training is actually minimal or no training is needed. As long as you are texting, as long as the patient is texting and they can read the English and we support actually 100 different languages on text and 30 languages on the voice. And that language preference actually we get directly from the EHR. There is a section what language the patient wants to use. So if, as it is configured, so it goes in your language to the patient to the extent actually if we are doing the bot is on the phone and if you have a weird name like my Chinme, and IVR does not read Chinme the way it should be read. It's a Chinme, and patient would not understand it. And we have taken steps around that, that for those kind of weird name like mine, you can put a different spelling which would sound better on IVR. So, so that all helps patient into kind of a understanding and responding and as far as the patient response, it's actually phenomenal. We work across federally qualified health center, which has Medicaid population or underinsured population. Even there, we get uh, like the 70% response rate is on an average. We see that kind of a response rate. Just because no nothing that we did anything extraordinary, actually. People are texting. That's why CHP puts on there, don't text and drive. So nothing that we did, Steve Jobs did something, and we are just kind of uh, utilizing that, mooching off that. 
I have a question around the appointment constellations. I mean, what does constitute last minute? Because, you know, you say, hey, you need to be a week off that drug, maybe before the surgery or a few days or so I'm curious around that. So, so I'll share a couple of examples from that particular. So one example was, as I shared with you, patient did everything right, but they need to go under anesthesia and they ended up at the clinic in Uber. At that point of time, there was no way for this. It's leaving in Uber, right? It's not arriving. Arriving Uber. So if they arrived in Uber, so they would leave in Uber too. Well, you don't know that. I mean, yeah, they, that, that's what they, they asked that, hey, you are, they asked at that time and the patient said, no, I'll go in Uber. And they said, well, we can't do it. So that was for instance, one example. The other examples are when there are ways you can interject. Uh, so for instance, you are supposed to stop taking your anticoagulant, let's say 15 days earlier. We reminded you 16 days earlier, we checked with you on 15 and you said, no, I took it. And at that point of time, we are alerting the uh, care team and they can decide what they want to do with that one day going to make or more. A variety of things that happen. I mean, colonoscopy is one of the greatest example. It gets messed up all the time. And uh, just because patient did not prepare the way they were advised to. So, so the, all of those small, small things lead to last minute cancellation. In this session before the break, the gentleman stood here and he said that he made a mistake in not including nurses before the, the sales process was complete. You mentioned that you're going to go to New York and you have an implementation starting next week. It's going to be done by the 20th. That's lightning fast. Can you give us some insight about how you're actually selling this? Who's involved with that and who's actually involved in the implementation? Yeah, so that particular sale actually was done to CIO and she found us through, again, uh, as she told us through Apex user forum. Somebody has probably written about us and that's where she found us. So that was an inbound lead. They were already sold before we kind of a, made a presentation to them. But as it goes about going live, that was actually, it takes a while. And the reason it takes a while is because we uh, people need to agree on the message that would go to patient and what the sequence of that would be. So their original go live date was 8th of December last year. And this date, they, were, they gave us around like 1st of November. And we provided them all the information. They couldn't agree. And then Thanksgiving happened and Christmas happened. So ultimately, then they were able to kind of finalize all of that thing. On 31st of December, we got a notification that, hey, we are going live on uh, 22nd of January. And then after New Year, when I talked to them first time, I said, no, 22nd was a typo. Actually, it's 20th of January. So, so now we are going live. So that gives you an idea. Now, who is involved? Patient access people, the nursing staff, the chief medical officer or CMIO, a variety of people are involved depending on what are the use cases. So for instance, when it is for preventive care, population health get involved. When it is surgery, then it's a director of surgery and those kind of people. When it's discharged, then those kind of people. So it would vary a little bit. This is an ambulatory center. So there is no hospital side. So there's no kind of per se discharge side, but a bunch of different uh, folks from the organization. I think we have time for one more question, then we'll wrap up. I think this comment was raised um, on the last panel. Is there concern from you that the EMR companies just don't start to do this on their own? No, that's not a concern to me. Actually, as I shared with you, we integrate with half a dozen different EHRs. And they are so backlogged that the regulatory burden on them is so huge that there's just no way that they would be able to kind of meet even that need. As you, as you saw, for instance, I just don't, if you, if you Google, you'll find that certain EHR companies 
fudge the data so that their customer can show that they met meaningful use requirement and then they got penalized. That is a huge burden. Uh, regulatory burden is huge on the HR companies. And as we talk about it right now, FDA is not involved. Now, genomics data is coming and other things are coming. And as a result of that, and as probably providers here, the doctors here, they would attest to it. In a way, EHR could be seen as a, as a source of patient harm. So that scrutiny is going to increase. So I, I mean, personally, I don't feel, I mean, I shared our secret sauce here very liberally. And I would love to see some competition coming along with us. Excellent. Well, thank you. Oh, do you have one more? Just one more question. One, one so, quick one. Yeah. I'll go real quick. So, I was given uh, 10 past six is the cutoff time. Oh, so I'm trying to keep the schedule here. I'll be, I'll be brief. So it sounds like there's still some customization that needs to be done from the customer side by associating the messages with the visit types. What's sort of your support structure that you set up for when they need help? How do they get in touch with you guys to, to troubleshoot things and work their way through that? Yeah, actually, that that's a pain point for us because we have a very small team. I wish we were a little bit bigger. So we have to kind of uh, work through kind of a night and day to, to provide that support. And as we go live with bigger and bigger organization, we will have to put that support structure in our organization, which currently we kind of are just managing it barely. But that is one of the things, especially as we go live with larger organizations, uh, one we are going live in like February, March, that's actually a health system in, in North, uh, Northwest. And I, I'm thinking about it. We are, we are looking at actually hiring some project manager for that, just to do that activity. Listen, thank you very much for being so open with your, your business. We wish you a lot of success. If you could give a round of applause to Shimei and also the, the panelists. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Season 3 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast and that you heard something that will trigger your curiosity and advance your digital journey. Many of the examples we bring you are outside of orthopedics, but the technologies and solutions we present are all eminently translatable to musculoskeletal care. Please consider giving us a review on your podcast platform so other people can find us. More importantly, tell a friend about our amazing community. We look forward to sharing the next episode with you. I am your host, Stefano Bini, founder and chair of both the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco and this, the Digital Orthopedics Podcast.